Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. On today's show, we speak with Benjamin Wall, a brand strategy, business, and sports development expert. Currently, he is the head of China for the German professional football club, Borussia Dortmund. We talk about his five years of experience as a sports solution professional working in the Chinese market, specifically around how his own Borussia Dortmund was able to gain a foothold in the country and the marketing efforts they have been most focused on in order to spread the club's culture and fan base. Benjamin also touches on how other EU-based clubs are doing in China by comparison and shares tactics that other organizations and clubs can use to grow a sports brand in China and describes Borussia Dortmund's branding and marketing strategy that he refers to as the challenger approach. Enjoy. I think it's a good example that this overall topic sports is rising in China. It's not only football, it's the other sports as well. Um, it's the focus from society, from the government, from institutions and organizations. And it goes hand in hand with that new lifestyle approach, right? Uh, living healthy, how to, how to live healthy, how to be healthy, what to eat, talking about organic food. I think that goes hand in hand with sports. And then the Olympics and all those big sports events, that's uh, just uh, another example of piece of puzzle in that lifestyle in China. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore. But entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Hello, Todd. Pleasure to be here. Why don't we start with a quick introduction, who you are and how you ended up in China. Yeah, my name is Benjamin and I'm heading the BVB China office based here in Shanghai. I'm 39 years old, uh, got family, two kids, a Chinese wife. And that's my hook to China. We met 14 years ago in Germany. She studied in Germany. Yeah, we, we ended up to, to build a family. She always said, I married you to live in Germany. I said, honey, I married you to live in China. <laughs> Usually the wife decides, but now <laughs> we are back in Shanghai. And uh, meanwhile, both very happy, happy to live here in, in Shanghai and in China. So you won. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say that in public, um, but I'm, I'm happy to be here, as I said. Yeah. Let me ask you, what was your interest and where did your interest in China come before you met your wife? And, you know, the joke is, you know, I, I married my wife to go to China, but you must have been very interested in China. Can you think back and, and maybe point to where your interest started from? I think it's that back then, this mysterious thing about that country and that culture where you think, whoa, there's something on this planet which is totally different to, to Europe and to Germany. I grew up in a very small village, I got to say, 800 inhabitants in Germany. I was very happy there. I got my friends uh, at my football team. But uh, yeah, during my studies times, I took some, some classes about Asian culture. And then I really thought, I, I want to experience this country. And then I met my wife. We traveled here many times during the time we lived in Germany to China. And yeah, it got me. It's, uh, it's a spirit of a total different culture. And you know it, Todd, you lived here as well. Then 
tons of things are coming on top. Uh, the speed of this country, the innovation. We talked about the food already. So it's quite exciting. I speak to, I'm here now in China since five years. I speak to many people who have been here like 10, 15 years. They also say you might get tired of this after a decade living here. But right now, after five years, I'm still super excited. Well, it, it can be kind of true because, you know, you're a lot like me. You were just really interested by something that you didn't know or understand. You thought it was, you know, mystical and, you know, something, something cool and, un, you know, something that you didn't understand. So you wanted to go and, uh, and check it out and, and see what all the fuss was about and all the buzz was about. And, you know, that's a part of your nature. Right. It may not be just specific to China. So maybe in another five years, you might think, okay, well, now I feel the same way about, you know, Nigeria or mm. Peru, mm -hmm. right? And you, you might just suddenly get a bug and like, I want to go and check that out and understand. So, you know, and I think that's what happens with a lot of people is that it's about them, not necessarily China in particular. It's just China is probably the, the flavor du jour of where and what's interesting and where all the buzz is and what's happening. And that certainly is true. Um, Let me ask you a little bit about uh, Borussia Dortmund, okay? Uh, this is a lot of your work. This is what you do. Can you just explain to our audience who is Borussia Dortmund and where do they place in the soccer ecosystem? Yeah. Borussia Dortmund, you might know our colors, black and yellow. That's how uh, most people recognize us. German football club. Uh, you would probably say North America soccer club. Um, mm -hmm. We've got two very big ones in Germany, the red ones from the south. I don't want to mention their name, and it's Borussia Dortmund. Uh, we won everything in the world of football, uh, several German championships, the German Cup, uh, the Champions League, um, the Club World Cup. Um, we got the highest attendance worldwide in football. You might have heard about our stadium as well. More than 80,000 people are attending our game days before and after Corona, hopefully again. It's a temple of football. The biggest standing tribune in the world with 25,000 people cheering there for our club. And um, yeah, we are, we are challenging um, some clubs in Europe. We are among the top 10 in the UEFA ranking. Tonight, actually, we play against Manchester City in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And um, I would say in the last sentence that we are famous for our youth football approach. So BVB not buying old expensive stars we are focusing a lot on young players um, coming out of our own academy or giving other young players an early chance to play to give you some nine names erling haaland this blonde striker from norway currently the top striker in europe you might have heard or um, reina guy from the us playing for the national team two years ago christian pulisic as well so many young talented players in our squad That's awesome. So if I look back at the question, when I said, where do they place in the soccer ecosystem? I believe your answer was a resounding number one uh, and best and top were probably some of, of uh, the words I would use <laughs> to paraphrase your answer. So quite clearly a very, very, very uh, good team with a, a storied Uh, history. And I mean, just between you and I, obviously far superior than any other, you know, soccer club in the world. I mean, mm -hmm. just between us, right? right. <laughs> Thanks for those words. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dig, dig into the details a little bit, because, you know, for our audience, we're always interested to learn more about how things are done in China. And this is a great opportunity to, to do this around 
uh, talking about a football club, uh, a soccer club that uh, is really trying to make its mark in China. And so what is it like to market a specific, you know, football team inside of China? And to some degree, are you also marketing the whole of uh, Bundesliga, uh, which is somewhat, you know, promoting your competitors as well? I could go a few years back. So around 2012, 2013, back then with Klopp, um, with Kagawa from, from Japan, uh, we had a huge feedback back then from, from Asia. Um, and we started our international tours that during the summer breaks, we were traveling with the team to Asia. So in 2014, the club decided um, that we have to go internationally as well um, for the fans, but also for new revenue streams. So in 2014, we opened an office in Singapore, which is still there. And then three years later, in 2017, sport, especially soccer football, got so big in China as well. And then in 2017, we opened the office here, here in Shanghai. That's where Borussia Dortmund came from. Talking about the brand, what we are doing here, I mentioned it. Football, soccer is a, is a governmental goal from China. So the country wants to develop into a football nation. And they have this three-tier plan. They want to build 70,000 football pitches until 2025. And they want to participate in the World Cup by 2030, and they want to be among the top soccer football nations by 2040. So it's a governmental plan. Football becomes mandatory in uh, elementary schools and middle schools. Um, they are establishing all those uh, football sports-related uh, university courses. So it's a huge wave. And that's why, of course, we are not the only club here in China. 83 foreign clubs are active somehow in China with an office, with a uh, representative. So it's a huge market um, where a lot of clubs, companies investing in. Talking about the league, you're right. Um, the Bundesliga is the league with the most clubs having a presence here on the ground. Six Bundesliga clubs plus the league itself are in China. The Red uh, Club from the South came first in 2016. Wolfsburg, uh, connected to the VW automotive uh, company, was here 2016 as well. Then Borussia Dortmund came in 2017. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Schalke 04 came last year. And uh, Frankfurt, Eintracht Frankfurt, has an office in Beijing. Those three clubs and the DFL, the Deutsche Fußballliga itself, is here too. In Germany, of course, we are tough competitors. Um, but I got to say here in a, such a foreign market, we have a regular realignment. We call it the Bundesliga roundtable. Twice a year, we meet up talking about developments, how we could engage um, more fans together with a common approach, organizing fan viewing parties. So I would say that um, that's, that's, a, that's a good relationship here in China with the other clubs. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about fanship uh, for a second. And maybe I can ask you, are there a few other EU soccer teams uh, in China as far as trying to do what you do and, and market and have a presence, uh, you know, aimed at, at, at China uh, and maybe which from your perspective, uh, and I know you, you obviously don't like to talk about any of the other competing uh, teams that may be around, but what teams are popular? What players are popular? What jerseys are selling the best? Uh, and and why why do you what what why does it seem like those teams, players, jerseys, whatever, are the most popular? Yeah, the Premier League, the English Premier League, uh, is sportive wise in all rankings the number one league, and also in China, many people following the English clubs. On mm. top, the all the English clubs were very early in China. 
uh, via Hong Kong. Many of them have presences in Hong Kong already. I don't know the year, but probably since 20 years. Um, so the Premier League and those clubs are, are quite big over here. And then from the other countries, usually the Chinese media, when you look at it, usually from each country, two clubs. So, of course, from Spain, it's uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid who are who are big. From Italy, you've got Inter Milan with the Chinese owner, of course. Juventus playing uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, as well, Todd, it's a victory market, right? The Chinese aiming for the top stars, for the top clubs. So... A guy like Cristiano Ronaldo, wherever he plays, that club is uh, on spotlight as well. And then uh, from the German Bundesliga side, um, I would say Munich and us have the most followers over here. Okay. You mentioned that China, from a government point of view, has made you know football, soccer uh, very important, right? Uh, that they, uh, they want to make it mandatory in all the schools. They want to be in a World Cup by 30, you know, 2030. Uh, and they... Uh, you know, they've, they've got a lot of goals, uh, in the, in the coming years. Do you think that there is a limited time frame for foreign clubs to really try to grow their following before a lot of attention gets put on, uh, the local clubs in China as they begin to grow and become strong and be globally competitive? That's a good question. <laughs> um, <you gotta. laughs> I know. Sorry, I should have warned you. I will get inspired and think of of certain questions because I know how China promotes China first, hey, right? right? So as soon right. as they can, and say you know, and I I think back to like hockey. Okay, so like my. I come from Vancouver. My dad came from Vancouver, but Vancouver didn't always have a, a professional hockey team. So he loved the Montreal Canadiens from out east. When Vancouver brought in a team he became a fan but i always knew that his heart laid with the montreal Canadiens because as a kid that was his favorite team growing up and so i wonder if a lot of this groundwork that the european clubs could potentially be doing now can set them up but you might have a limited amount of time in which Mm -hmm. to really grow those hearts that bleed black and yellow before the Chinese clubs and their colors start coming to, you know, the top of the pile. That's true. It's true. And that's how I would see the market. You've got in the Chinese football market, the the Chinese league, the CSL, Chinese Super League, um, with all those big clubs, Beijing, Guan, uh, Shanghai, Shanghua, Guangzhou, Evergrande. Then you've got all these universities, provincial, city, school approaches where they build up now this football league system from grassroots, from the beginning, actually. Might have seen it in the news. The Chinese professional league um, had some big changes recently. They, they forbid that the big investors um, placing their names in, in, the, in, the, in the team name, um, which, of course, was leading to a budget cut for those teams. So were struggling financial-wise a little. They established those salary cuts that uh, foreign players, um, that they don't waste actually money on those super high salaries on on foreign players. Introduced rules that a certain number of young talents have to play in the starting 11. So there they are still in an experimental phase trying to build up a professional league. And I would say they got some already. They already got some traditional clubs here. I mentioned Beijing Guan, a super loud fan base. Shandong Luneng, also very loud. Shanghai Shenhua here. When I go to those games, I'm always surprised what a real fan culture they already have. And when I speak to fans, I think it's quite common here in China that you have two clubs. Of course, they've got their local club. 
being attached to a region, to a city, to certain values of a club. They have this as same as in Europe or North America, being a fan of your own city. And it's very common that you have a second team in Europe cheering for Borussia Dortmund from Germany or cheering for Atletico Madrid or for Liverpool than in England. Um, I think that's quite common and um, we definitely have that. On the other hand, we have all that grassroots, which I mentioned, right? And I think many clubs are focusing on this as well. So, of course, you're building up your brand over here, selling IP rights, picture rights, um, having milk partners, uh, partners for water, for nutrition bars, automotive companies. That's actually the sales over here for the clubs. So how they do revenue, they're selling their IP. The English clubs are doing this since many, many years. And then there's this youth football approach on this grassroots level, uh, partnering with universities, schools, cities, and provinces, where the European clubs bring coaches and monetize this as well to build up an academy, to give football courses, to have football exchanges, to, to speak about how do you do scouting. You know, all those football topics, this is another area besides that professional Chinese football league. I'm curious about how soccer or football is grown from the ground up because I've always had uh, somewhat of a, a fascination with American football and and their tie to universities. Basketball is also quite there with their their uh, uh, their Sweet Sixteen tournament and the Final Four and the, and the whole thing they do with college basketball. But when you're watching uh, like a professional. NFL American football game, when they talk about a player, they almost always cite the university that that player came from. You never hear that done during a major league baseball game or during mm-hmm. a national hockey league game. And, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I know that in um, Premier League soccer or some things like this, they, they will cite some clubs, especially during the World Cup, like when you're, when you're representing maybe like your, your, your country, mm-hmm. they will definitely talk about what club you're with you know, during Mm. your day job. Mm. But, um, you know, for some reason in football and the tie to the school and the amount of money that Mm. is generated, I mean, people choose universities because of their sports club. Mm. Uh, It's an amazing way to grow a sport. So I guess my question initially is, how is soccer growing? What are the fundamental tools around the world that the Brazilians and the Argentinians and the Germans and the English, what do they use? How do you grow a sport? Because I'm interested to know how much China might follow that same kind of strategy. I think the very first approach is that kids and people are able to play it, right? For, for many, many decades, China was investing into basketball courts. Uh, you lived here many, many years. You see everywhere basketball courts at companies, at parks, uh, everywhere. Uh, so that sport was promoted for a very long time. And now that's shifting or additionally soccer and football is coming in as well, that you see pitches here and there. Space is very rare in those super mega cities, which you have everywhere in China. But you see that when a company is building a new complex, they have the obligation to build three small football pitches as well next to it that people can play. So that's the very first step that the, the people are able to play, um, that you introduce football and soccer to the, to the kindergartens, to the middle schools and to the educational system. Also a challenge, not that easy because uh, we all know in China, the educational plan, the curriculum is very tight and you don't have class until four or five o'clock. Like in Europe, you have basically it until, until the evening and then plus homework. 
And so you have to integrate football sport um, into the yeah, curriculum of, of the students. But that's governmental goals. So that's happening. And then on top, the foreign clubs are coming in, right? Promoting, promoting the joy, the, the passion which you can have with football. Um, and I always get the question, who are the Chinese fans? Why, why do they like football? Why do they like Borussia Dortmund? As you said, in, in, in the US, uh, you have a college team, you're growing up with them, it's your university or it's your region. Of course, during the dis uh, due to the distance, you don't have that here in China. But if you ask German football fans, Borussia Dortmund fans, you ask 10 people and you get 10, get 10 answers. And that's the same in China. We have fans who love a certain player. They're saying, I really like Erling Haaland or Marco Reus. You have fans who travel to Europe and they said BVB was the greatest stadium experience. You have fans who are telling you a specific game where they were watching Borussia Dortmund and we won the title or scored a certain goal. You got um, fashion-driven fans who being like, you've got so many young, handsome players. So they're following more the players uh, than the club. So there's such a big variety about football. And that variety we're trying to kind of trying to cover with Borussia Dortmund as well. Not only focusing on sports reports and giving coaching classes, but of course, promoting the values of the club as well, uh, promoting our atmosphere and organizing travels to Germany to experience this, um, leveraging the players, how they live beside the pitch, what they're doing in their spare time. So uh, it's a broad business field, I would say. You know, I know that Yao Ming had a very particular, uh, has a very particular background and uh, was almost uh, produced intentionally to become, uh, I know like even his parents were brought together because they were tall and athletic and they were hoping for children who were, you know, also tall and athletic to produce a world-class uh, basketball athlete. And Yao Ming did turn out to be that. And uh, because of his status and his success and his career, he was able to almost single-handedly be able to drive the sport of basketball inside China. As, as you noted, the amount of, of basketball courts that were um, built around China and the amount of kids who were playing dreaming of growing up and being just like Yao Ming. When it comes to, you know, football, soccer, football, and I'll continue to, you know, put those two together for both audiences uh, from where they come from, you know, is, is China maybe looking forward to producing uh, someone like this? Or is there an athlete that is on the rise that could be somewhat uh, on that trajectory to become the Yao Ming of soccer football? All they need is that one Ronaldo, that Messi, that, that big, big name. And then all of a sudden, the sport could really take off. Yeah, they're working hard on this dream to be a, a world football nation. There were certain players. Uh, Wu Lei played in Spain for many years for Espanyol Barcelona. Very good player, super strong, strong striker. I would say it's still on an early stage, but on a good way that they're going to have, that they're going to be better in football. There was a lot of disappointment with the national team recently because they didn't perform that well. But still, we know a team sport like football, probably even basketball, it takes some more time, years to establish a good squad and a, and a big basis of players. Very different to uh, the classic Olympic Games where you just have one single guy. There were approaches, you were talking about building up players, that they gave uh, passports to South American football players to integrate them into the national team to have some success. 
that works on a short-term basis. But I think the overall approach is um, made for, for decades and that they have to grow their own players uh, from China's side. Let's talk a little bit about money because money typically makes the world go round in some circles, some beliefs. Revenues, uh, specifically TV revenues or merchandise revenues. Where would you say the majority of the focus of your marketing efforts are? I mean, are you working on driving viewership on TV, selling, you know, merchandise like uh, jerseys or something else altogether that I'm not thinking of? So the leagues uh, in Europe are responsible for the TV revenue streams. So our DFL, the German Football League, is in Beijing, and they are talking to Chinese media stations regarding the, the streaming, the broadcasting rights. Um, of course, that goes back to the clubs, but that's something we don't have a straight uh, influential impact on. For us, of course, we are here for our global partners as well. Puma is our partner, Evonik on our chest certain other big companies, which we then help in the market to promote their brand as well. So that's, uh, that's a global approach, I would say, with our offices in Singapore, in New York, or here in Shanghai. And then, of course, we have regional partnerships as well. Um, as a German football club, of course, we have a local beer partner over here in China, where we do classic sports marketing, um, providing picture rights, IP rights, doing TV commercials. And that's, of course, then a revenue stream for a club. Can you say what, what beer brand that is? It's called Würenbacher, a very German name as well. It's actually brewed in <laughs> Germany and then shipped over here to China. It's a light pilsner, and I hope mm -hmm. we can have one next time we're going to meet Todd. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. I'm always interested. Does it, does it come from the Bavaria region? or the southwest region, not Bavaria. That wouldn't fit. It's southwest say, region. It's yeah. a pilsner, so yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. Would you say that... Football is the most popular sport in China. Could it, I mean, are there more kids, more players than in basketball? I'm in that football bubble. That's why it's so hard to judge. Every day I'm mm. working on this football business. So it feels for mm. me like it. I think basketball is yeah. still super big. The NBA, especially, they were here so big since many, many years. That's a tight race. Now, I saw different figures and statistics. I think sometimes it's football, sometimes basketball. Ping pong is big as well. I would have to check those statistics. But football is definitely rising. Yeah, that's, that's why I asked because uh, there is actually a lot of conflicting information out there. Yes. And so it's, it's actually hard to tell uh, what is the most popular sport or if, you know, even just pitching soccer versus basketball or football versus uh, basketball, which, which actually is, is the top one. But let's just say it is very popular, okay, and, right. and it's growing. Does that make it easier to drive marketing revenue and, and fanship? Or are you actually, you know, seeing that it, you know what, this is a really educated audience and they know who all the players are and they actually have some favorites. You mentioned that uh, the Premier League, uh, and you know, that England has, has a pretty good foothold as well. So um, do you find it even like it's not quite this you know, blue ocean landscape, easy to get people interested in your team. It's actually a fairly well-educated, uh, more difficult landscape to, to drive, you know, fanship. The market definitely got way more educated than, let's say, four years ago. Very fast development mm. as well. 
say prices for IP rights back then were super high because everyone, all the Chinese companies were jumping on that football sports marketing train, got very fast educated, that competition got tough. I mentioned so many clubs came over here. Chinese company evaluate and compare IP rights and values as well. That's challenging. But on the other hand, again, it's a rising market. It's still on the early stage and I think sports marketing and especially football is on a good way to develop here further in China. Let's zoom out a little bit and and talk a little bit about tactics on growing a brand, uh, especially when a brand is a club, a sports club, essentially. What sort of tactics do you use to try to drive the black and yellow throughout China? Yeah, we were sitting together for quite a while in Dortmund a couple of years ago about our strategy, and we call it the challenger approach, a little bit like the sportive one that we're going to say we're not buying the big stars. We got to educate some some young players to challenge the the big clubs. And that's the same for our brand and marketing strategy. So we know there's a Real Madrid or a Manchester United, um, which you just can't attack right away. So said we got to do the BV, BVB approach in China as well. Very fan-centric, organizing fan-viewing parties all around the country to bring that black and yellow flavor here to the cities. Um, we have 19 fan clubs now all around the country. And then we are organizing yeah, fan gatherings. Um, we're going to those cities, bringing our big bumblebee mascot. We're bringing our football coaches and we're doing football clinics during the day. We're going to visit some cultural sites. And then the games are usually late at night. And then in the evening, we gather in a pub or a bar and then we're watching the games together. So I think that's something from Borussia Dortmund, which we have in Germany as well. That's not only about results or being the best and having a trophy every year. It's like in life. You have good times together. You have bad times together and you experience that family spirit. And that's what we try to bring over here. So that was one of our very first approaches to reach out to our existing fans here in China and then founding new fan clubs and convince more people that. Borussia Dortmund is a great brand and football club. When you said the uh, uh, the challenger uh, strategy, I immediately thought of the NASA spaceship, uh, the Challenger, ah, which yeah. of course um, had the explosion. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about how that's going to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as well on. Let's say the demographic that you that you're focusing on with your strategies. How important is youth soccer for you and in for many many other clubs to to drive the popularity for their teams and in your case the Borussia Dortmund? Yeah, we have a young young fan base over here. I mentioned this uh, lifestyle fashion part already. As our squad is super young, most of the players are under twenty in our team. So that's something where what we can see that um, the generation Z is following our club a lot. There's another split. Of course, we have many fans from the super um, successful times in the '90s with the Europe Club with all those championships. Many female followers as well. In, in Germany, the ratio is eighty twenty male female. In China, it's almost 50-50 male-female who follow oh, our club. Um, that's kind of interesting for us as well. But yeah, we're trying to emphasize this. Um, TikTok, TikTok Douyin, um, not a secret mm. anymore. Very young fan base. Of course, we have a channel there. We have a partnership with them for Europe to work together and then leveraging those, those short, entertaining video clips about the clubs and the players. Did the 2008 Olympics help in the popularity of of football and this might be a bit of a of a loose attachment to a growth spurt due to 
just summer sports or even sports in general. Did you see anything that you could attribute and say, yeah, you know what? We saw a bit of a spike or there was a noticeable spike. And I know that maybe in 2008, you weren't necessarily with uh, Borussia Dortmund. You may not have been paying attention too much. So maybe not the best question, but did you see or are you aware of any popularity growth amongst soccer or football from the 2008 Olympics? I think it's a good example that this overall topic sports is rising in China. It's not only football, it's the other sports as well. Um, it's the focus from the society, from the government, um, from institutions and organizations. And it goes hand in hand with that new lifestyle approach, right? Uh, living healthy, how to, how to live healthy, how to be healthy, what to eat, talking about organic food. I think that goes hand in hand with sport that people, you got a, such a big middle class now in China um, regarding household income and of course that development which we had decades ago in Europe or in the US in North America that comes to China now as well that people not only talking about work and, and getting more money they're dealing with issues like yeah I want to have a healthy life what how can I work out what should I eat and then the Olympics and all those big sports events that's uh, just a, another example or piece of puzzle in that lifestyle in China this next question I may be guilty of playing into this kind of image of the European football fan, okay? Because we see, especially in North America, the way the typical, you know, European, German, you know, English soccer fan is, you know, football fan is portrayed <laughs> is pretty barbaric, you know, it's like a bunch of Vikings got together to go to a game. Uh, and um, so I guess my question is, given that as the staple of my, you know, uh, my view or my, where I'm sitting as far as how I see the fans having not been there. But you mentioned you've been to a bunch of games and every time you go to games and you see a lot of games in China. So can I ask you just what kind of sort of, you know, fan behavior do you see in China amongst the China fans? And how is it just different? Can you just compare it to uh, what the, what a game might be like in similarity uh, going to in in uh, in the EU mm. versus uh, potentially some very distinct differences in how the fans act at a game versus being in the EU? Actually, I wouldn't start with the differences because when I first came here and attended the first couple of fan parties, I got to say. It's a lot of similarities in the first, in, on the first glance, right? So you go there, the people are dressed in black and yellow. They sing German football songs. They're having a beer. They enjoy the game. They're cheering if there's a chance or a missed goal or if they score a goal. I think the first impression you get, you'll be like, whoa, they're watching football like we do it in Europe as well. And then as well, when you go to regional games here, I mentioned Shanghai, Shanghua, super loud, enthusiastic choruses, 90 minutes, people are singing. So this fan culture is definitely already here in China. I wouldn't say that's super, super different. What surprised me a little is when a, when a team wins a championship, you know, in Europe, they, they tear down the cities. You've seen those pictures probably in Dortmund with our last championship or last a couple months ago then in Liverpool, right? Even during the pandemic. You know, like, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen in China. That's different. But yeah, that's then so deep-rooted in, um, in politics and, and cultural things. It's just, that's just not possible. So yeah, that's a difference. What is your 
favorite memory growing up? I mean, because your team has won some championships when you were probably a younger, more foolish man. Did you do some some serious celebrating back in the day? <laughs> you mean in China or in Europe? In Europe. Yes. I mean, you grow up with sports in Europe and in Germany, right? So football is deep rooted in your heart. You yeah. enjoy it with your friends. We have some very good times. And I got to say about the Bundesliga, Borussia Dortmund has a fantastic fan base and you've got to experience the stadium full house one day. It's, it's goosebumps, seriously. Overall in the league, we have, we have many, many very enthusiastic clubs. Um, in Cologne, it's an outstanding atmosphere. In Frankfurt, our opponent Schalke as well. In the second league, even uh, you know, clubs like Hamburg, it goosebumps in many, many stadiums. And I think that fan culture in Germany, that, that is kind of outstanding in Europe. Uh, Sportive-wise, the, the Spanish clubs and the English clubs uh, are ahead of us. England has fantastic stadiums, but even Jurgen Klopp says the, the atmosphere is different. It's, it's very tense and loud in England. But in Germany, for example, you've got the fan, the fan base singing for 90 minutes, very, very loud. It's it's a goosebump atmosphere in many stadiums in Germany. And um, I really like that about the Bundesliga. comes back, I think, to the fact that we still have those influential fan groups who are saying, guys, you shouldn't play on a Friday night or on a Monday because then the fans from the away team cannot travel or even many fans from the home team cannot attend. And then you're going to lose that atmosphere. And in my opinion, that was a big success from the fan scene, led it, led it by Borussia Dortmund, that we abandoned the Monday games. Uh, the league tried it for one year and all the fans gathered and said, guys, you cannot do this with our beautiful sport in Germany. And actually, last night was the last Monday football game and now they're going to abandon it again. So that football fan culture in Germany is something outstanding. Yeah, you're you're right. I definitely... I, I've got it on my bucket list. I have to go to, I, and I want to go to a big game. Like I want to go to like two rivals, you know, going against each other. I want to be in this. It's like, I've, I've, I've seen it on TV. I've only seen it on TV. I often wonder, is anybody even watching the game? They just seem to be partying and having fun and singing and hugging and high-fiving and fighting. And <laughs> it's like, it's just, you know, like, right, right. I, like does yeah, anybody right. know that there's a game going on in the middle? Um, <laughs> so it just seems like the best time. And I think that's why it's so often portrayed in, in yeah. such, uh, such humorous, uh, satirical ways in the, in the movies and the TV shows. Benjamin, uh, I just want to ask as a final note, what does the future hold for Borussia Dortmund in China? We definitely want to grow further here. It's an exciting market and we wanted to come back with the team last summer. It didn't work out. Looks tight for next summer. But um, my personal goal here and for the colleagues in the office is that we're going to have the team back during the summer tour here in China. Let's see. We're definitely going to organize something uh, virtually this summer. So the players are going to be in front of the camera interacting with our fans and partners in China. Luckily, we can organize on offline events on the ground too. We're going to travel to several cities, visiting our fan clubs. And yeah, hopefully we can come back with the team soon. Benjamin, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Todd. Hope we meet up soon again. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. 
My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.